property. Is Cash Color Canvas a higher level of conversation? Um, today, again, we're not at Live Hip Hop Daily Studios. We are at my office, Urban Grove Media Studios at my house. And I have an amazing guest on today. Um, actually, this is the second time I've had her on. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed. We keep the audio We keep the audio going this time. Um, but I have a super dope guest in the building today, um, Nyambi McIntosh. She is executive director of the Peter Tosh Foundation. Um, she's an educator and activist, and she is a very she is a very um, huge supporter and advocate of her father's legacy. So I have a great time. I'm having a great moment today, being able to speak to her about some of the work that the Peter Tosh Foundation is doing. Um, as well as social act, social equity and a lot of other things. So without further ado, Nambi, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. No problem, no problem. And I did joke earlier that we did have an audio issue the first time. So hopefully this time is going is going perfectly fine. So thank you very much, audio. Okay, take two. <laughs> <laughs> take two, right? All right, so um, before we get into the Peter Tosh Foundation, please tell us a little bit about your background. I know you are from Boston, which I am too. I wanted to speak about that last time, but I know you're <laughs> Boston So yeah. speak to us about your background a little bit. Yeah, I, I um, was born in Jamaica. Um, back way back when 81 <laughs> um actually only lived there for about three years before moving back um well, moving to boston my mom is from boston oh. and so um i have a huge uh family um on my maternal side there and so i've gone to boston public schools uh and then went on to um, whitworth institute of technology to major oh, really? um, electrical engineering and then uh, wanted to do a career change. So I was an engineer for about three years before doing a complete career change and, and jumping into education. So I did this program called Boston Teacher Residency, um, which is an accelerated um, master's degree program. That is that is super dope. I did not know that you were that deep in Boston. I just thought you happened to live there. You went to Boston <laughs> and everything. We from there, Dorchester, Roxbury. We no, from here. Stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> what high school did you attend i actually went to um a small charter school called city on a hill uh charter school oh, and cool. then um i left my junior year and, and graduated from uh west roxbury high school wow i feel old i remember when city on the hill came to life like one of my old teachers went over there to go to go be an educator over there and i love city on the hill i thought the I idea was your old teacher i was a founding uh graduate so we were the first well, I didn't graduate from there, but I still claim it. <laughs> but we were we were the first um, students. Um, you know, we were the first class. That is so crazy. I probably bumped into you plenty of times running through the South End sometimes. But yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's speak to us about again how you got into um, taking over your father's foundation. Um, what what led you to to um, stepping into those shoes? Uh, yeah, well, my father um, is the reggae uh, legend Peter Tosh, founding member of, of the Whalers, um, went on to have a solo career in 1976 with his um, iconic uh, platinum selling album, Legalize It, you know, that's the, the, the anthem for the cannabis movement. And so, um, <clears throat> but most of my family didn't grow up, unlike, you know, the Marleys, who a lot of them uh, grew up as mus young musicians into the industry. Um, along with their 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 father, none of my family really um, were musicians and, and were a part of understanding what that means when you're leaving a legacy behind. So um, <clears throat> it wasn't until, although my father uh, passed away in 1987, it wasn't until 2009 when um, 
we realized that the estate was something that we actually had the power to control. Prior to that, it was run by a public administrator. So we ended up, um, <clears throat> you know, I pretty much volunteered or put myself out there to the family and was like, hey, I'm the youngest of 10 siblings. And I was like, hey, what if I what if I take on this um, this responsibility? And it was uh, unanimous, unanimously decided that that was a good idea. Yeah, and it was an amazing idea. You know, we we Peter Tosh is a legend in the music industry, not just not just reggae alone. So to maintain his his legacy has to be something that is is really curated properly. You know, you don't want to just have it in the hands of just anybody. So I'm glad it is in the hands of you, who absolutely wants to make sure that her father's legacy goes on in pro in a proper way. Um, Jamaica is known for reggae, good food, and of course cannabis. Um, what is the country's um, actual relationship with the plant, though? I know many people believe that you know you go down and you go down in Jamaica and people just always chiefing, but they have a different relationship with the plant than we might have in the states. What's the relationship with the plant that Jamaica has? Well, Jamaica was colonized by the British in the 1700s, and so um, a lot of their views um, were were kind of the same sentiment as as the European sentiment. It wasn't something that um, they recognized as a, as, as a sacrament. It wasn't until um, the spirituality or the way of life of Rastafari was founded in the 1930s as a mass exodus from the Christian church where they Rastafarians understood that there was a, a deeper meaning to their identity. They wanted to connect back to their indigenous ancestors and connect back to Africa. And it was, you know, through the culture of Rastafari where, um, it was held as a sacrament. They they understood the medicinal and spiritual benefits of the plant. But uh, followers of Rastafari wasn't, you know, um, they were outcasts. They were considered outcasts. They, um, you know, pushed against, they were pushing against the anti-colonialistic, um, you know, movement and wanted to um, recognize it. So cannabis has always uh, been illegal and only uh, been made legalized uh, recently only for medicinal benefits and, and uh, spiritual um, benefits. And so uh, most, although people, although reggae music has been the vehicle to promote and advocate and for cannabis, uh, most of um, Jamaica has been influenced by Western culture. And, and so it's been something that has been demonized the same way it has been in, in, in in, in America, uh, but it's that reggae music that has been bringing more awareness and spreading spreading the, the positive aspects of the plant. Yes, yes. You know, you mentioned that how reggae has been a vehicle to kind of spread that love. Peter Tosh has been a, a, a huge instrument in that. And now we have the Peter Tosh Foundation, which is stepping into the cannabis space as well. Um, why was it important for you to feel like um, his name should be attached to cannabis at this moment? Uh, well, <clears throat> it was in 1976 where the song Legalize It um, was written and then a couple of years later the song Bush Doctor and in this song he's, you know, advocating for legalization, um, not, but also recognizing that, you know, in the song Bush Doctor he's like it's good for medicinal benefits, it's, it's good for glaucoma, it's good for asthma, it's good for a failing economy. So he was a man that was way before his time. If you Google my dad, you will see there will be very few pictures of him without um, you know, a spliff or a pipe <laughs> in his in his hand or in his mouth. But the reality is that although um, he's always seen with cannabis, he faced uh, tremendous, um, 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 
you know, uh, backlash from from the government and from the police in Jamaica. So it, he really sacrificed uh, for his for his beliefs, and and it wasn't easy for him to be that activist and that advocate. So it's it's only right that that we as um, the holders of his legacy um, let that be known in the space. It's because of him, you know, that we are here today. Because of you know, music has a way to transcend. Um, you know, cultural barriers, language barriers, and time. And that really is, a, is, is what was the founding. Um, he's considered like the godfather of the movement. Yes, yes, man. And um, it's crazy that we're here in this moment now because, you know, as legalization is sweeping across the country, we still face a lot of backlash here in, in, the, in the country for being consumers, even if you are in a legal state. Yes. Um, Speak about what social equity means when it comes to the Peter Tosh Foundation and making sure that there is an equal footing for not just people who are trying to get into the business, but also consumers when it comes to protection. Yeah, and uh, well, the, the Peter Tosh Foundation was, was founded um, in 2015. This was an entity that really was established to um, carry on the the mission of my father's you know words i as running the estate that's more about um um finding different commercial uh, ways to 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 um to commercialize his his name image and, and likeness but the the foundation in itself was really uh that tool that we wanted to use to to be that vehicle for activism and, and do the work that my father um, wanted to be done uh, many, many years ago. And so we we founded uh, PT Capital, which is our cannabis arm under the Peter Tosh um, brand. Uh, it's, we have to be very clear that the foundation is not selling cannabis. <laughs> it's a 501c3. So um, <laughs> that I wanted to make sure that we distinguish. But um, we are looking, we will license the name and, and, and proceeds, you know, that we make from from our cannabis um, brand will go back to the foundation to really do that work that my father, um, you know, sung about many, many years ago. All right. Um, and can you speak about some of the products that will be coming down the line? Like, what are, what are some of the things that we would, that we should be seeing with um with your with your father's name on it? Uh, well, we you know it's very important that we hold true to the culture, and so um, flour is very is is a, is a must. Um, you know, pre rolls. He always had a spliff uh, pipe uh, paraphernalia that really matches that that culture from a chalice to pipes. Uh, he was very very much a consumer in that way, and then branching out from there. You know, um, but we wanted to start with with flour because that's what how how we use it. Yes. Um, and then, you know, bringing back social equity, um, the social equity conversation and, and Peter Tosh's name kind of came to a head with your, with your brother, um, um, Tosh One, Jawara. Um, his, his incident in New Jersey definitely raised a lot of, a lot of um, awareness for what is going on in this country and what just goes on amongst Black people in general when it comes to cannabis use and the differences between being being arrested when you're black and being arrested when you're white. Um, can you speak a little bit about your brother's situation and how that kind of sparked a little bit of the interest as far as um, making sure that we have a social equity and we have a, a, a good conversation about what's going on with the, with the legal side of cannabis um, in, in this country and, across the, and across the world? Yeah, um, my, my older brother, um, but uh, my father's youngest son, uh, Jawara, Macintosh, who musically goes by the name of Tosh One, 
he was arrested for cannabis possession back in 2013 um, in, in New Jersey. And um, he actually was held in jail for about three months before even having a, a hearing. Uh, we as a family thought that this would be something that we can put behind us. You know, I was just like, okay, he got arrested for, for cannabis. This can't be um, something, you know, outlandish. It, I'm sure it will kind of just go away. Uh, my family, my mom and I, we drove to the courts and that's when we, um, and drove to his hearing. And that's when we heard the prosecution offer a 20 year plea. And uh, at that moment is when we realized this was way bigger than what we, we thought it would be. Um, in 2000, three months later, he was able to make bail. He went back and forth to New Jersey for pretrial motions where um, every time he went, they would offer him a, a plea deal, like 15, it would go down to 15 years and they would say, this is the best we can do. You don't wanna, you know, if this goes to trial, you know, they'll give you the full 20 and then he'll go back and they'll say, well, 10 years is the best we can do. You know, you, 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 you better accept this because it's, it's, it's um, going to trial, you will face the full 20 years. And so um, after three years, it got down to about five years and we were really torn between uh, standing for what my family believes in, you know, as recognizing the plant as a sacrament, um, the plant not ever uh, being responsible for death. When we look at, when we compare it to, you know, even our pharmaceutical company that are out there. Uh, but, we didn't want to be made an example of, you know, my brother is a, is a follower of Rastafari. He's a father of four and um, he's a musician and an activist. And so we decided that it was a good idea for him to take the plea. And in 2016, he accepted the plea. January of 2017, he turned himself into Bourbon County jail. And it was a month later where I received a call from my mom, frantic on the phone, crying, saying that there's a surgeon on the phone and he's doing a life saving medical procedure. He needs authorization to do a life saving medical procedure on, on my brother. He's been attacked by another inmate and has su suffered a traumatic brain injury. Um, we authorized the, the procedure and flew to Hackensack Medical Center where uh, at first we weren't even given the right to, to see him. They said that, you know, he's a ward of the state. This, you don't have the right to see him. And I was like, you know, blown away that even, you know, that they failed to protect him, that they failed to keep him safe. We as his family couldn't help him in this time of dire need. Fortunately, I believe it was the name, you know, the Tosh name that rang some bells and they didn't want the backlash of media attention. So we were able to see him. And when we walked into the ICU um, at that time, he had, um, you know, um, tubes down his throat. He had a neck brace on. Half of his dreads were shaved off. His face was swollen. Um, he was fighting for his life um, on a ventilator and he had a handcuff on his ankle and he was surrounded by correctional officers. And um, at that moment was when I realized that my life would be forever changed. He was unable to do anything for himself. Um, at that time, um, you know, though even the word vegetative was even used around his condition um, after his injuries. He stayed in the ICU for three months and then came to Boston for uh, to Brigham and Women's Hospital and was there for 500, and, and 500 plus days. We cared for him um, after that and took him home. But unfortunately, last year, 2020, he um, succumbed to his injuries and has and transitioned. And so, um, you know, when people hear, you know, um, 
people that have been impacted by the war on drugs. They hear this language and this jargon that gets thrown around in social equity. Um, it it's it means a lot more to my family. You know that people know that these this is what the war on drugs has done to people. We have a platform to share our story, but so many others um, remain voiceless and don't have the platform and suffer in silence. And so it's it's time that America makes a change. Yes, yes, I, I agree because his story is very similar to many stories across the country, but um, you're right. The name Tosh probably lit so many lights that they didn't want to have that much um, energy over it. But it's sad to say that, that that that's still going on in this country, that we still have this 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 um, uneven uneven regulations when it comes to how people are actually incarcerated and what you're incarcerated for when it comes to cannabis. Uh, I, I'm sorry for his death and I'm sorry for his um, situation, but I'm glad that y'all are using this as a way to kind of keep a conversation going about what is actually happening in, in, this, in the when it comes to cannabis and who uses and who gets penalized Thank you. Thank you for your condolences. Yeah, it's it's most, um, you know, we were privileged before um, dealing with this situation. We none of my family has ever been involved with the criminal justice system um, before. And this was his first his first arrest, the first time he's kind of gone through it. And unfortunately, um, you know, for just like in my brother's case, this is what happens to, to many, many people. Um, once they first kind of have that encounter with our failing criminal justice system. Yes. Um, speaking about your father, if your father was here right now, how do you feel like he would be, um, do you feel like he would be happy to see cannabis becoming um, a thing that's becoming legal across the world now that as, after speaking about legalizing and after being such an advocate, do you feel like he'd be proud of what he sees right now? Uh, my, my father was, was someone that was well-read and really looked deeper than the surface. So I think that on one hand, um, you know, he has an interview where he took credit when, uh, Spain, uh, legalized cannabis. And so on one hand, he would, he would definitely be, be proud. But on the other hand, he was someone that, um, you know, has a song called the poor man's feel it, that he, he understood that there is a, a hierarchy system and, and that only certain people are benefiting from legalization right now. And, and still, um, you know, black and brown people are not part of, are not reaping those benefits from, for the sacrifice that they put in. So I think that there, he would recognize the dichotomy that exists within the system. Yeah, man. I'm um, such a monster legend in the music world. Um, has he been inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet? Or is there still is there still conversation, still traction about getting his name recognized in the Hall of Fame? Oh, definitely. Um, we are still working on that. He played over, um, you know, 20 instruments um, and self-taught on many from the harp to the harmonica and also contributed to, to so many other um, reggae um um, reggae albums, you know, even quietly without getting getting contributions. So uh, that's something that we're definitely working on. Yeah, he's a major contribution. I was reading an article recently about uh, Y Clef. He was talking about the the uh, Fuji's record, um, their second album, how much Peter Tosh in, in, inspired him. He said he felt sometimes Tosh was in the room when he was working. So wow. yeah, yeah, it's about the time that we we get him into the Hall of Fame. I, um, I would totally agree. Um, so July 1st was International Reggae Day. Um, you know, in this whole entire month, I pray that everybody remembers some of the amazing reggae legends and why you're smoking and why you're listening to, to songs that you're thinking about some of those legends. Um, thinking about your father's legacy right now, where do you feel like he fits when it comes to the, 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 the span of reggae as far as um, the history of it? Like, where do you feel like he sits? 
Oh, he definitely sits as a as a foundational contributor, you know, contributor. Um, that's when um, music went from ska to reggae. So he is a, a, a founding member of the creation of reggae music. Um, you know, he's someone that was a founding member of the Whalers, uh, Peter Tosh, Bob Molly, Bunny Whaler, and and that's the beginning of that sound that we that we know and love so much. Um, when reggae music um, was was created back in the seventies. Yeah, so definitely, if you're smoking this, if you're smoking it today, and you're thinking about Peter Tosh, remember that Peter Tosh is one of the founding members of this. There's a reason why you're not you're listening to this music, and it goes so well with cannabis. Exactly. Um, before we get out of here, please tell us how people can learn more about the Peter Tosh Foundation and all the amazing things that you're doing, and how they can actually support. Uh, definitely. So we are on every social media platform, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Peter Tosh. Um, and then we also have PeterTosh.com as well as PeterToshFoundation.org where you can learn, uh, go and learn more about the foundation and also donate and contribute to um, all of our wonderful initiatives that we have going on. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. It was an amazing interview and I thank you very much for this time and I'm glad it went well this, this time with the audio. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you so, so much for having me. No problem. And that's Cash Color Cannabis, a higher level of conversation.